Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All the way from the state of Virginia, our preacher comes today. And uh, God has placed the Heritage Baptist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, really right in the shadow of our national government, our nation's capital. And I'm so thankful that God has placed his lighthouses right where he wants them. And this church, Heritage Baptist Church, has a wonderful history and a great testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And pastor Jeff Amesbaugh is the pastor there, and we're so thankful to have him here. Uh, Dr. Amesbaugh is a wonderful scholar of the Word of God. He's a man who studies the Bible. And uh, when he preaches it, you can tell he has spent some time in the Word of God and uh, getting those truths that we need in our life as they're preached to us. And I'm so thankful that he would come, make his way all the way across the country uh, just to preach to us for a few moments this morning. We're honored to have him. We're thankful to have him. And I know that our hearts are ready to receive what God has given to him for us today. So, Pastor Amesbaugh, you come and let's welcome him to this pulpit this morning. Thank you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 8 this morning, please. Genesis chapter 8. Wow, we're off to a good start this morning. My hope is in the Lord is my favorite hymn. And I'm thankful that it was sung today. It blesses me every time I sing it. Those men did a great job. What a great truth that was articulated. Thank you. That ministered to me very well. And I don't know about you, but when Dr. Getch gets up, it's just like you feel, even when he gives announcements, you feel like you have to come forward. You know, it's just, it's just amazing how he penetrates your heart. Every time that I've been here, uh, when I'm done speaking, he gets up and does his like five minute out cue, and I get more out of the out cue than I did my own sermon. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this this morning when I'm done. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. He also sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. 
And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dry. I want to talk to you on this subject this morning, how to fly the coop. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word this morning. We thank you that you have preserved the Bible so that we can look in it and find out what we need to know. We thank you that your word is indeed a light to our path. We pray that as we look at it today, that your spirit will help us to understand the Bible, help me to accurately represent it. And I pray that you'll do something in our hearts today that will count for eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. It seems like throughout the years, you and I have heard stories about the glories of the ark. As a matter of fact, when I was in Bible college, there was actually a popular song that came out entitled, Build an Ark. Go on and head for the ocean waters. Save your sons and your daughters. Build the ark. It seemed like everybody that preached was preaching to parents to build an ark of safety for your children. Don't let your children get with the wrong crowd. Build an ark. Don't let your children go to public school. Build an ark. Don't send them off to the local community college. Send them a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-even, sin, shunning, devil-thumping, preaching the book, the blood, and the blessed hope, Baptist school. Build an ark. And it seems like all throughout the years we've been heard that we ought to be in the ark of safety and that we ought not be out where all the destruction and the, the decay and the judgment of God is. Let, let's build an ark. But we must never forget that the ark itself has unique temptations within it. This is not to say that we're in a bad place when we're in the ark. Good night, I'd rather be in the ark than in the floodwaters, amen. I would not want to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. But by the same token, I want to submit to you that we would be delusional to think that there are not things within the ark that don't irritate us from time to time. I mean, if you were Noah, wouldn't you get a little tired of the smells of the ark? Wouldn't you want a little ventilation? Wouldn't you want to be out of it? Now, obviously, you understand that if you leave it, you're going to be in the floodwaters. That's not a good place. But that doesn't mean you're not going to be irritated by the smells of the ark. And think about the confining circumstances of the ark. You talk about curfew. I mean... Where can we go? What can we do? Well, the short answer is you can go nowhere and you can't do anything. I mean, that, that's the rule book. The, the student handbook is you can go nowhere and do nothing. All right? So that's wonderful. And yet our parents have sent us here to be a part of this wonderful ark of safety. This is where we are. Now, certainly this is better than the surrounding destruction that's happening at the local community college. This is better than anything that the world has to offer. But we should never think within our own lives that there are not unique challenges within the ark. I mean, you may have smells that you're dealing with. Maybe your roommate never takes a bath. Maybe it's been laundry time long overdue. I remember I had a roommate like this in college, and one day we just took all of his clothes and put him outside, put him outside the room and said, you're not getting in until something's done about this. And then the fishbowl, it just seems like everywhere we go, there are certain people we're always running into, and, you know, to be quite honest with you, in our human temperament, we don't want to run into them. It's like these two fish in the fishbowl, and the one says to the other, you don't have to say hi every time we pass. <laughs> hi, Bill, hi, Bill, hi, Bill. You just want to, I want out of here. We know we should be here. 
We know that God has called us to be here. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when the smells of it all and the confines of it all, we'd like to be somewhere else other than where we are. So we have this disconnect in our head. We know this is where we are supposed to be, but at the same time, knowing this is where we are supposed to be, there are times when we don't like it. And we have this disconnect in our head between what we know to be right and what we feel in our emotions. Reminds me of the little boy who was in Sunday school and the teacher said to him, she said to the whole class rather, she said, I have a friend and my friend is gray and he has a big furry tail. And he jumps from branch to branch and he gathers nuts in his mouth and he takes these nuts and he stores them in the crevice of the tree until winter time. Who is my friend? And a little boy in the back of the class raised his hand and he said, I know that the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. And sometimes we know what the right answers are, but what the right answers are don't seem to fit what's going on in our life at the time. Dr. Stuart Briscoe was one day doing a book signing, and while he was doing this book signing, he, the title of the book was How to Have Holiness Without a Halo. And uh, as he was signing the book, these two little girls were jumping around in the bookstore, and he said to them, he said, if you had a choice between being holy or happy, what would you rather be? And the little girl said back to him, I know that the answer is holy, but if I'm honest with myself, I would rather be happy. And sometimes I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have that disconnect in our own Christian life. We know that God has placed us here. And we know that this place is designed to champion our holiness. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're not too happy with the restrictions. We're not too happy with the roommates. We're not too happy with the food. And when we look at all that's going on in our life, we say, I know that I'm supposed to be here. This is for my holiness. But there's a part of me that seems to think I would be happy if I were somewhere else. Now, what do we do when we're in the ark and we know we're supposed to be in the ark, but we really would like to be outside the ark? Let me suggest to you three things. Three things to remember when you're in the ark. Number one, God remembers us. God remembers us. Look at verse one. And God remembered Noah. Now, you understand that when the Bible says that God remembers us, it is not implying any forgetfulness on the part of God. It's not like you and I use the word remember. Like, let's say that I lost my cell phone. And I said, where did I put my cell phone? Oh, where is my cell phone? Oh, I remember. And I go get it. It's not like God said, what did I do with Noah? Where is Noah? Oh, I remember he's in the boat. No, this doesn't imply any forgetfulness on the part of God. When the Bible uses the word remember, it uses it in three ways. First of all, it uses it of intimacy. The term is often used of courtship. It means that you are on the mind of somebody. I was preaching at another Bible college, and the executive vice president of that Bible college has a 
trophy room of deer heads in his office. Moose, elk, I mean all kinds of game that he has shot. And I said, these are all fantastic. I said, how did you get these? And he said, believe it or not, every one of these animals was killed when, in rut season. He was in rut. He had his mind on something else and he was easy game. He's just thinking about the ladies and he's blown away. He said, so whenever a kid gets his mind off his studies, I bring him in here and I show him, you know, all of these, these trophy heads. And I said, you're in for destruction, boy, if you don't get your head in the game because your mind's on something else. You understand that remembrance in the Bible is frequently used of having something on your mind. It's like the old Willie Nelson song. She was always on my mind. And that's the way it is here. <laughs> Noah was on the mind of God. God was intimate with Noah. He remembered him. Isn't it great to know that when we're going through horrific circumstances, when we're in the confining circumstances of whatever ark that we are in, that we are on the mind of God. Now I think of me of intimacy, but also intervention. You remember the Bible says that God remembered Hannah and gave her a child. When the thief was hanging on the cross, he said, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. In all of this, we're asking for intervention. God intervened on behalf of Hannah. He intervened on behalf of the thief on the cross. In the same way, you remember that when Joseph was in prison and he interpreted the dreams, he asked the, the butler, he said, when you get out, remember me. What was he saying? To think about him daily? No, he was saying, act on my behalf. Do some intervention for me. God is not only having us on our, his mind, but God is intervening on our behalf. Even when you think that God is against you, God is for you. He is intervening. And that brings us to the third thought, which is involvement. It's not merely intervening, but it's intervening favorably on somebody else's behalf. Because of the intimacy that God had with Noah, he remembered Noah and he began to act favorably on Noah's behalf. He had Noah's best interest at heart. May I say to you this morning that God has your best interest at heart even when you doubt that he has your best interest at heart. God's for you. And so because God is for you, but think about this, God is for everybody else as well. Now this is an interesting statement. I don't even know exactly what to do with this in chapter 8 verse 1. But the Bible says that God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. God not only had Noah on his mind, he had all of these animals on his mind as well. God remembered them as well. So God has this very difficult task. I mean, it's not difficult for him, but when you and I think about it, it must be difficult. How do you manage all the critters of this world at the same time? You understand that God is not only for you, but God is also for your smelly roommates. And the question then is, how does God orchestrate all of that together and work all things out of the counsel of his will so that it's for the maximum benefit of all of us? I don't know, but aren't you glad that he does? And so, this is proven by the fact that the storms eventually stopped, verse 2. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the floodwaters eventually recede, verse 3. The waters return from off of the face of the earth continually. Now you understand that storms don't last forever. 
and floodwaters don't always stay up. There is a point in our life where the storms do stop. There is a point in our life where the floodwaters do recede. Now, it may be a while before it happens. For Noah, it was 150 days. You understand that's about the length of a school year. Oh, good night. It may take that long. But I want to submit to you that what you're going through, you will not always be going through it. The storm does stop. The floodwaters do recede. And we must never forget in the midst of all of that, before it happens, that we are on the mind of God. God remembered Noah. Well, not does God remember us, think with me about a second thing, that God rests us. God rests us. God leads the ark to Ararat. The word Ararat simply means holy ground. By the way, this is the place where God is leading all of us. God wants to lead all of us to holy ground. And there the ark rested, and it rested for another 74 days plus 40 days. After the 74 days, you could see the tops of the mountains. Oh, there's hope there. See, in seeing the, the, the tops of the mountains, they knew that the water was going down, that we weren't going to be forever buried in what we're buried in. The floodwaters are receding. And then another 40 days, and the window of the ark was opened. Now you think about that, 74 plus 140, that's about the time of a summer break. God does give us reprieves in life. God does give us rest from the grind that we're currently in. And these moments when God gives us rest in the midst of it all, this rest is designed for us to have a proper response to God's goodness. These moments of rest are designed by God to give us perspective on what God is doing in our lives. They help us understand that we will not always be confined as we presently are. That we won't be completely inundated as we currently are. Now in these moments when these reprieves come, you have a choice of which bird you're going to act like. You can either act like a raven or you can act like a dove. The raven, in this moment of reprieve, goes out of the ark and begins to feast on the carnage and the filth and the death of the judged world. He goes out into the death and corruption of this world and begins to digest it. He begins to assimilate it. As soon as the, the moment of confining circumstance is over, he goes out and what does he do? He blows a gasket. He goes out and begins to feast on all the filth and the carnage that is available for him to feast on. And he gorges himself on the filth that litters the landscape. The dove, however, is much more discriminating. He does not abandon the ark like the raven does. He returns to it. And when he returns back to the ark, he returns back with that which is verdant with that which is green. He does not feast on the carnage of a world that is perishing. He rather feasts on the fruitfulness of a new creation that God has made. You see, the raven is like Demas. He hath forsaken us, having loved this present world. But the dove is a picture of a pioneer who loves the new creation of God. And that's what he's interested in. 
Get it now. Both birds flew the coop. But they flew the coop with vastly different responses. And the question is, how do you handle your times of reprieve? <laughs> you know, there are some people that as soon as they get a window of opportunity, they just blow a gasket. They go out and they feast on... I mean, they're not even at the first traffic light out of town and they've already decided what nonsense they're going to get involved in. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to use your times of reprieve, your weekends, your spring breaks, your summer vacations? Are you going to use those reprieves that God gives you in the midst of the grind? Are you going to use those to feast on carnage? Are you going to go out and be more discriminating than that and embrace the fruitfulness of the new creation that God has made for you to be a part of. For 13 years I pastored in Columbus, Georgia which was right outside of Fort Benning which was one of, uh, well, one of the United States' most premier um, military installations. And I had a major in my church who was uh, responsible for finding soldiers who were AWOL. And he said it was interesting how all, more often than not he found them within just a few miles of the base in a motel room, curled up. I mean, we're talking about men who've been through basic, curled up in a fetal position, crying like a baby because they had got involved in a bunch of stuff that they shouldn't have got involved in on a three-day pass. Let me ask you a question. When God gives you a three-day pass, how are you going to handle your three-day pass? When God gives you an opportunity to get out of the boot camp of life, when God gives you an opportunity to stand on your own, are you going to handle that with personal responsibility? Or are you going to handle that by feasting on the garbage that the world has to offer? That choice is completely up to you and God gives you the opportunity to make a good choice or a bad one. Which one are you going to make? God rested Noah, and in the rest, God intended for there to be discrimination. Which brings us to our final point. Not only did God remember you, and not only did God rest you, but notice thirdly that God releases us. He releases us. If there's a word that I would choose for Noah, I would choose the word discipline. He waits for God's time and he waits for God's word. May I say to you this morning, young people, that if there is any area of my life where I have really messed it up, I, it has been because of violation of one of those two things. I have jumped ahead of God's time or I've jumped outside of God's word. For one year and one month, Noah had been in that stinking ark. And finally, God shed the covering of all of that, and Noah was released. And the greatest world that God had created, washed completely clean of all of its attendant misery, was now available to Noah. But that world was conditioned upon decisions that Noah himself would make. You and I must be willing to wait on God's timing and wait on God's word. Now certainly in life, we're tempted to jump ahead of God's timing. 
And constantly in life, you and I are tempted to jump outside of God's word and the boundaries that it has created. But lavish experience of the new creation is for those who wait and don't get outside of those parameters. I heard a famous preacher many years ago tell the story of this chihuahua who was in a backyard, a fenced backyard. And he said the chihuahua didn't like the fact that he was fenced in. He said, I don't like this fence. I want out of here. I want out of here. I need my freedom. And he said, outside of the fence, there was a bulldog. He said, the bulldog already had a napkin around his neck, had a fork in one paw and a knife in the other, and was already saying grace. He said, let me ask you a question. Where was the chihuahua's freedom, inside the fence or outside the fence? Well, anybody who's thinking knows where the freedom is. It's inside. We find the goodness of God when we function within the timing of God and when we function inside of the word of God that he has established. I know the ark that you're in is very confining. It cramps your style. I know that sometimes in your thinking it can stink to high heaven. But there will be a day when you will step out to behold all that God has for you. And in the meantime, you and I must never forget, never forget that God remembers us. God knows what he's about. God rests us. God gives us moments of reprieve. We have to be discriminatory during those. And then eventually God will release us. Not too long ago in my ministry, I was counseling a girl who got ahead of God. She went to Bible college. She was told that when she went to Bible college, she would find a husband. It did not happen after four years of college. And so when she got out and her desires were not fulfilled, she blew a gasket. Got involved in a lot of stuff she shouldn't have been involved in. She stepped outside of the timing of God. She stepped outside of the word of God. And she tasted the corruption. And I watched as the tears were in her eyes and the pain was in her heart. As she wished so much that she had not done that. God's going to give you an opportunity to fly the coop. It's not whether you're going to fly the coop. It's how you're going to fly it. You're going to be a raven? Or are you going to be a Dove. Don't be a silly raven. I close with this as a terrible illustration, but stay with me. In the movie Babe, the, you know, the pig wants to be a sheepdog. And all the other animals are like trying to argue against this or even having a, a convention about it in the barn about the fugitive duck who wants to be a rooster and the pig who wants to be a sheepdog. And one of the animals says, the way things are, are the way things are. Another animal says, well, the way things are stinks. And I think all of us sometimes feel that way in our life, that the way things are, the way things are, but the way things are stink. There's no denying that there are some issues 
with being in the ark of safety. But I want to submit to you that being in the ark of safety is still a much better deal than being outside of it. And therefore, you and I must never, must never be a raven. We must always seek to be a dove. Let's bow for prayer. Father God, we love you today and we thank you for the opportunity we have to spend in your word. And Lord, I don't know to whom I am speaking. I don't know what issues are going on in each individual life, but you know. And I pray, Father, that in those moments of temptation where we are frustrated with the arcs that you have built for us, that we would have the patience to wait on your timing and to function within your word so that we would not be remorseful over having digested the carnage and corruption that this world offers as a quote-unquote healthy diet. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.